taught through the book of Revelation, if I remember correctly, we were in a bit of a time crunch. We were doing a study uh, over in Deschler, actually. And so we were were letting another church, was letting us use their church. They were very nice of them to let us do that. But we were trying to kind of move quickly. And I know how I teach. I, I can really slow down. And so it was one of those things where we're going to do this Bible study over the summer. And so we kind of had a short period of time that we were going to fit all 22 chapters of the book of Revelation in. And so when I was going through Revelation 2 and 3, which are the seven churches, we taught all seven churches in one night. One night. That was one of the hardest things I've ever done. So I like to go into the detail of this, so I'm really looking forward to this. I don't know how many churches we're going to get through tonight. So keep your sheets because you got the information here for the next few weeks as we go through this. Now, if you weren't with us last week when we introduced ourselves to the book of Revelation, remember the word revelation means unveiling. In the original Greek, it means apocalypse. Now, when we think of the word apocalypse, we start thinking of these end-time awful events. It really literally means unveiling. And it's the unveiling of who? Jesus Christ. As you go through this book, Jesus is unveiled. You get a deeper knowledge and understanding of who he is. And the outline for the book of Revelation comes from verse 19. Write the things which you have seen, chapter 1, the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, and the things which will take place after this, starting in chapter 4. So what you have going on here tonight, we're still not into the prophecy stuff. When you think of Revelation, what you're really thinking of is really chapters 6 through about chapter 20. That's what you're really thinking of. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. But before we get to that, we have these seven letters to the seven churches. And this is how we're going to teach it tonight. I believe these letters are for local, real churches that really existed. And Jesus is telling them about the good, the bad, and the ugly that's going on in their church. Imagine if Christ would come and write a letter to the church you attend and say, this is what I really think. Be quite the letter. We have this recorded. We also feel that these letters are prophetic. When you kind of start here at the first church in Ephesus and you go through the next seven churches, it really is a beautiful picture of church history. And we'll go through that as we do it as well. We believe that these letters are applicable to all churches. When you go through these churches, you're going to stop and say, Hey, I've been in a church that struggled with that. Hey, I'm in a church right now that's dealing with those issues. So that's why these churches' letters are so great, because they're real issues that are still applicable to us today. We also believe these letters are personal. Take a look at the end. Take a look at verse 7. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is at the end of every single letter, meaning that this is open. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. So this will also speak to you as an individual as you go through this. And lastly, going back to the title of the book of Revelation, these letters reveal who Jesus is. So with that being said, we're going to talk about the local church. We're going to talk about the prophetic side of it. We're going to talk about how it's applicable to churches with issues, how it's personal to us, and how it reveals Jesus. And I hope you're as blessed by this as I am. And if you look, if you have a Bible with the words in red, when you look at chapters 2 and 3, there's a whole lot of red there. So let's see what Jesus has to say to us. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And have persevered, and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. 
But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So there's your first church, the church of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus should ring a bell with you. Paul spent a lot of time in Ephesus in the book of Acts. We have the book of Ephesians that was written to the church of Ephesus. So as we go through this, keep that in the back of your mind. Now, the introduction to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right? What's that word angel mean? It literally means messenger. It could be referring to an actual angelic being. The idea that maybe there are angels that watch over the actual church. The word just also means messenger. In some cases, it could mean the idea of a messenger, a pastor, the head of the church right there. So this letter is given to that individual that has that obviously oversight, and this is what needs to be taken care of. Now look at the description of Jesus in verse 1. He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He holds, he holds. Jesus is the authority. He's the one that's supposed to be the head of the church. If you're a note taker, write this verse down. It's a great verse to remember. It's Colossians 1.18. Speaking of Jesus, it says this. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Now, we've lost that focus in a lot of churches here, because just break this down with me. He is the head of the body. It's all about Christ, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That should ring a bell with you. We went through that last week in chapter 1 of Revelation. Great description of Jesus, the firstborn from the dead, and all things he may have the preeminence. The whole purpose of the church is to edify the saints, that's you guys, to equip you to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. Now, somewhere along the way, we've lost that focus, and we've turned churches into country clubs. And let's try to make everybody as happy and comfortable as we possibly can, and let's hope that a whole lot of people show up. That's really not the purpose of the church. The church is to take the people that want to learn and grow, give them an opportunity to serve, an opportunity of fellowship, an opportunity of worship, and to say, let's train you, let's equip you to give you the tools you need, because you're really only with us. For an hour on a Wednesday and an hour on a Sunday. But we're going to give you the tools you need to go out there and represent Jesus Christ every day of the week. So remember the purpose of the church is to glorify Jesus Christ and not to make the emphasis on us. So he holds the seven stars. He has the authority. And he walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Lampstand is going to be a picture that you see. What's the purpose of a lampstand? To give out light. So therefore the purpose of the church is to shine for Jesus. Jesus said when he was on this earth, he goes, I am the light of the world. Later on in the Gospels, he said, the light of the world is leaving. Then he said, you are the light of the world. Our purpose in life is to shine for Christ and point people towards salvation in Jesus. I think there's a lot of individuals that lose that focus. We start thinking the purpose in life is to fulfill us, to make ourselves comfortable. Paul describes our life right now as a tent. It's temporary. We're not supposed to be comfortable in a tent we got a mansion waiting for us in heaven. That's our goal. That's our focus. And what else do we see? Once again, you see a lot of times the church being focused on the church. Now, nah, let's focus on Jesus. That's the whole purpose of why we're doing this. So what does he say? Verse 2, I know. I know what? I know your works, your labor, etc. Now, that can be good or bad, right? If you're doing good, amen, he knows what you're doing. If you're not doing good, that probably convicts you a little bit. I remember years ago that uh, somebody came up to me from church and uh, came up and said, hey, I saw you and Dawn in Walmart the other day. And they just paused. And I'm thinking, what were Dawn and I doing in Walmart the other day? 
So I asked him, I said, were we fighting? And he goes, no. I said, okay, good. You know, I'm just making sure. I mean, like if somebody comes up to me and says, you know, I saw you the other day. Well, what was I doing? <laughs> you know, was I being good? So when Jesus says, I know your works, your labor, okay, are you happy with it, Jesus? Because you, you know everything. You know what I do. You know what I don't do. You know what I think. You know what I say. You know how I act. You know how I use my time. You know everything. See, I, I can present a really good case to you guys. You guys can present a really good case to me. And when you see me, I can always make sure I got my Bible. I'm quoting scriptures, telling you what the Lord's doing. But Jesus says, I know what you do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, that's not supposed to scare us or threaten us. It's the reality. I know your works, your labor, your patience. This is good. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. Amen. Now, if you look at your sheets, what I've done is this. I've broken it down. Where for each church, we have a praise that Jesus gives them. We have a rebuke, something they need to work on, how they're going to correct it, and then their reward. This is kind of a theme here. So as you go through the church at Ephesus, you see their praise. They work hard for the Lord. Look at those words that we highlighted. Works, labor, tested, persevered, labored. This is a hard-working church. I bet they're taking care of widows. They're taking care of orphans. They're out there ministering to the lost. They're helping the poor. They're helping the needy. They are constantly serving the Lord. And not just in works, verse 2 You have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and found them liars. They're even spiritually searching things out and saying, this doesn't line up with Scripture. And why are we doing it? Verse 3, and you have labored for my namesake. This is a good church, and you have not become weary. But, look at that one key word in verse 4. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Please note they have not lost their first love. They left their first love. See, what church are we really dealing with here? We're dealing with a church that has a bulletin that's packed with events and things. We have a church whose calendar is so busy you can't even schedule things. You have a church doing outreach. You have a church doing ministry. You have a church doing everything great. But what's happened in verse 4, they have gotten so busy serving the Lord, they forgot why they're serving the Lord. It just becomes what they do. And I've seen Christians like this. They are so busy serving the Lord. They will jump from one ministry to another ministry to another outreach to this to that. But they've lost their first love. They've lost that. Think about that for a second. That idea of first love. Think about that. For you that are married, do you remember when you first started falling in love with your spouse, what that was like? I can remember, I first noticed Dawn. We were high school sweethearts. I first noticed her as a freshman in high school and did the classic thing that all freshmen do. I asked somebody else to go ask somebody else if Dawn would possibly like me. And so this person went and talked to someone and came back and said, no, she's not interested. (laughs) So there you go. So then I kidnapped her. And uh, no, so... (laughs) Not true. But then we became closer friends junior year, and then all of a sudden her senior year. And But I liked her ever since I was a freshman. And I can remember the first time that Dawn and I went, quote, unquote, out on a date. How's this for our first date? We went to Burger King in Defiance, the one right there by the mall. And I remember I was so nervous. Here I am. And I remember I thought, I need to pray over my food. 
but I'm afraid to know what she's going to think. And so I did a quick little prayer before she sat down. Because you don't, you know, and it's just, you're constantly nervous. You want to say the right things. You want to do the right things. But yet there's this excitement. You can't wait to talk to them. You can't wait to learn more about them. You can't wait to see them. There's that love, that excitement. Jesus said, you, you guys have lost that with me. Think back to when you first got saved and, you, and it really meant something to you. Man, you, you couldn't wait for church. You couldn't wait for devotions. You just, I mean, sure, there's an event going on tomorrow. I'll be there. Well, it's a single ladies Bible study. Don't care, I'm coming. You know what I mean? I'm just, I'm just going to come. I, I can remember when I first got saved. Uh, you know, I had to get up. If I really wanted to do devotions in the morning before I left for school, I'd have to get up, you know, pretty early. But there was no question about it. Now as you get older, you've got to set the alarm to remind you. You know what I mean? Jesus is saying, can you go back to where you first just loved me and it was pure, it was simple, and that's all that mattered. I say this a lot to people who come to me and say, I feel dry spiritually. I usually ask them, when was the moment that you felt the most on fire for the Lord? What were you doing? You probably were in the Word more. You probably were in prayer more. You probably were listening to worship music to and from work. You probably were involved in small groups. I mean, these things are probably going on. Now, this is not a works-based thing, but the reality is you were investing in that relationship with Christ, and it was all new and fresh and exciting. Jesus, excuse me, I should say, God spoke about this back in Jeremiah. You don't need to turn there. But he says this to Israel. When Israel started falling away from them, he said this. He goes, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness. God is saying, I remember you, Israel, when you were in love with me. I remember when you just wanted to be with me, when you came after me, and it was just that betrothal, that idea of young love. And then the rest of the book of Jeremiah is to say, you've lost that. I just want to encourage you tonight, if you're at a spot spiritually where it is dry, it is empty, and you're kind of like, I don't even know what I'm doing, why don't you go back to your first love? Why don't you do exactly what it says right here? Verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you. You have left your first love. Well, what does it look like to go back? Verse 5, remember. Remember. What was it like? Go do those things. Next one, repent. Repent. Maybe there's things that have come in there. It's like, I I never would have done this before. I never would have watched that show. I never would have wasted time like this. I never would have. Okay, repent. Do the first works. Remember the first time you heard some of these Bible stories? I'll tell you this. Somebody who's been walking with the Lord for 24 years, somebody who's read the Bible, obviously. I, I go back through some of these books that I've been through many times. It's still just as exciting. You catch stuff you haven't seen before. And I there's sometimes run across a verse, and I'm like, I can't believe I've read that, I've taught that, and I forgot that was in there. Go back and do those first works. Okay, what happens if you choose not to? Verse 5, I will come to you quickly. Remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remove your lampstand. You lose your witness. You're supposed to be the light of the world. You lose your witness. Now you may say, okay, well, that doesn't sound like that big a deal. It's a really big deal. If you're on this earth to shine for Jesus Christ, and that's your sole purpose, according to John 15, is to produce fruit and glorify him, when that's not happening, what's your purpose? Once again, when somebody comes up and says they feel dry, okay, what are you reading? What are you studying? What are you doing? Once you get a little deeper, I usually ask them, when's the last time you shared your faith? If that's, if that's the purpose, is to tell people about Christ, when's the last time that happened? It's invigorating. It's exciting. You know, when's the last time you went back to the tracks back there and said, you know, I'm just going to keep some in my pocket so that way when a godly conversation starts up, boom, here's a track. Just all of a sudden looking at eternity and not the here and now, it really 
makes you stop and realize, okay, my first love is Jesus Christ. And that is really all that matters. Really all that matters. And so Jesus is being pretty straightforward here in verse 5. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, do the first works, or I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. It's a pretty straightforward verse right there. We're going to take a small stop right here. Any quick questions, comments about anything we've covered thus far with this before we move on and finish up here, him specifically speaking to the church of Ephesus? Okay. Now, remember what we talked about at the beginning. This is a real church with real struggles, so we talked about that. It's also prophetic, we believe. As you go through these, it really seems to line up. What would this church be? Sad to say, this would be the earliest part of the church. As what happens is when you kind of get done with the book of Acts, Christianity just becomes normal. And what you see here is false teaching already coming into the church. What you see is this idea, this attitude of, well, why do we do it? Well, this is what we've always done. And you see Jesus becoming commonplace. There's a term the Bible uses. It's called profane. Never let Jesus become profane, which just means used for normal everyday use. Jesus is just the thing I do. No, there's supposed to be a young, exciting love with this. Verse 6, though, he also brings up the Nicolaitans. Now, what was going on with the Nicolaitans is this. This is kind of an interesting thing. You've got to study a little bit of church history to figure this out. There was this man by the name of Nicholas, they believe, that started getting a following. And this following consists of basically overindulging in whatever you kind of wanted to do. Now, that doesn't happen nowadays, does it? Hey, as long as you've got Jesus and love God, his grace covers everything, which is true. So go do what you want, whenever you want, however you want, and enjoy life. That was creeping into the church. Some also people believe this name Nicolaitans carries this idea of power. The name literally means conqueror of the people. And what they think it also could mean is this, that as time was going on, there started to be this hierarchy in the church. Now that's a really sad thing when you stop and think about it. It becomes this power grab. Who's in charge? Who's got the most power? Who's got the authority? It's never supposed to be about that. We're supposed to be washing feet together, serving together. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 24. He says, not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. Paul says, I'm not trying to control your lives. I just want to work with you and serve with you. And I've seen pastors that become almost a dictatorship at church. That's a sad thing. We're supposed to be the body of Christ, serving together, loving together, growing together. What a beautiful picture that's supposed to be. Verse 7, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. I don't know about you, I read verse 7. I want the tree of life, and I want to live in the paradise of God. So what do I need to do? Verse 7, I need to overcome. Well, how do I overcome? Look at your sheets. 1 John 5, 5. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. How simple is that? You want eternal life? You want to live in paradise forever? Understand and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How simple is that? So our first church that we have here, they are praised for hard working. They're not afraid to get out there and love and serve and do But the problem is they've gotten so busy serving God, they forgot while they're serving God. They forgot. They lost their focus. So their correction, their rebuke is what? Repent. Remember. Go back. Do the first works. The reward? Eternal life. 
So I just want to encourage you, if you're here tonight and you kind of feel like you've lost your first love and your walk with the Lord has kind of become a crawl, your verse is verse 5. It's all right there for you. Remember, repent, and do the first works. Realize what it means to be a light for the Lord. I was just talking to someone at a, uh, we do a little Saturday men's study, and we was just talking to him a couple weeks ago, and he was sharing a couple of times just about getting out there and sharing his faith. And you could just see the eyes, the excitement. When you get a chance to get out there and really represent Christ, it is just absolutely invigorating. I, I honestly can say it's one of the most fun things I do. I'm always nervous. I'm always a little scared. I'm not going to lie. But there's always this excitement. of for, I, I get to impact eternity at this moment. I just want to be available, Lord. Just want to be available. So that's the church at Ephesus. Any final questions, comments about that before we move on and understand what the rest of the churches are? Okay, next one. Smyrna, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now we're into our second church. Smyrna. Smyrna was an area of persecution. When you go study out the real church of Smyrna, the real town of Smyrna, they had so many... Uh, temples set up to false gods. They had so much Roman uh, worship of the emperor. What, what would happen back during certain times of Roman emperors was this. You were required once a year to offer a sacrifice. And it was a simple sacrifice. You would take a pinch of something and kind of throw it into the fire and pledge your allegiance to, um, to Caesar. That's all you had to do. And once you did that once a year, you were good for the next year. Well, as Christianity started spreading... And as Christianity started getting more popular, for lack of a better word, in Rome, Christians were faced with a really difficult decision. And if you go out and study church history, they were basically told by some of the Romans, just do the sacrifice, don't mean the words, and for the rest of the year, just then worship God. And what happened is they couldn't do it. They couldn't. And Smyrna was a center of this. And so the people of Smyrna had to deal with this on a regular basis. And that's why they're the church. If you look... There's no rebuke for them. Because why? They're being persecuted so tough, so rough, that they don't have time to fall away. They don't have time to stumble. When you go read about the churches in other parts of the world, to be quite honest with you, they are so persecuted and so focused on the Lord in eternity, there's not enough time to backslide. Here in America, we got a lot of time to backslide. And we got a lot of options. And many places in the world... They don't have that. Smyrna, the focus was on the persecution. So what do we have about Jesus first off? Remember, we're revealing who Jesus is as well, first one. Verse one, he's the first and last who was dead and came to life. That should remind you of last week, verses 17 and 18 of chapter one. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Jesus, the one who died, rose, defeated death. Now, there's many people in the Bible that rose from the dead. But Jesus rose from the dead and lived forever again. And what an amazing, he defeated death. So since he defeated death, we can defeat death. Now from a historical context, what we have now is this. When you start studying out church history, 
there started to become a very heavy persecution of church. If you've ever studied it out, if you've ever read Fox's Book of Martyrs, this is where the uh, Christians were being killed on a regular basis, and this is that time period that that is representing. Some people take a look at uh, verse 10, where it says that you'll be thrown into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Now, there's a lot of opinions on what that ten days mean, and I'm not going to try to tell you I know exactly what it is. I can only share with you what it could be. For that church in Smyrna, it could be a literal ten days. You guys are going to have ten rough days coming up. Get prepared. Some people also believe it mentions the ten emperors, that for a span of ten emperors, when you study out church history, they were awful. They were absolutely awful. That really caused so much trouble in the church. Some people believe 10 days just refers to a short period of time. Because when you usually talk about a time period of trials in the Bible, you usually use 40 days. You know, for it rained for 40 days and nights. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. They wandered for 40 years. 40 usually represents a time of trial and tribulation, where 10 maybe represents a shorter version of that. That, that detail doesn't matter. What matters, though, is this. These guys are being tested. Look at verse 9. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. Why are they rich? Because they're not backing down. They know who Jesus Christ is. They're not going to be overcome by persecution. They're not going to be defeated that way. They're rich. Boy, this is a lesson that I wish we all could learn. Because what happens is this. We get the contacts. You get the phone calls. I get the phone calls from somebody. And I call it an end of the world moment. That's what I call it. And we used to not have as many end-of-the-world moments because back before email and texting, it was really hard to have an end-of-the-world moment because what would happen is you'd have to call somebody and hope that they answer, or you could leave a message, and usually the answering machine didn't record that long. So I used to, before we had cell phones and texting and email when I was a pastor, I'd get some phone calls that were end-of-the-world, and they usually got cut off in the the end-of-the-world rant, you know? Nowadays, with your cell phone, you have a bad day. If you want, you could text out a whole angry note and hit send as soon as you want. Or, even better, you could post it online so everybody can see you being unbiblical. You know what I mean? What's going on right here? I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. Romans 8 says you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So we can sit here and we can focus on what's wrong and your life, and your marriage, and your job, and your health, and your money. We can sit here and focus on everything that's wrong, and we can spend the next hour whining and complaining about it, and then spend a token two, three minutes in prayer. Or we could stop and realize you are rich in Jesus Christ, right from the beginning. Yep, it's tough. Yep, it's difficult. I'm not taking that away from you. But guess what? It's in that times of trials and tribulation that you really realize how everything you need is Christ. Now, we know these verses because we've been going through these verses the last couple weeks, but guess what? We're going to go through them one more time. Two passages. Can you go with me to James chapter 1 and then 1 Peter chapter 1? James 1, 1 Peter 1. We basically said these passages, I think it was two Sundays ago, but it bears repeating because if you are going through a difficult time right now, you need to hear this. If you're not going through a difficult time right now, two things. Number one, you will be going through a difficult time. Number two, you know somebody who is going through a difficult time, so be prepared. Look at James chapter 1. James 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. James says, enjoy the moment. 
You're going through something difficult. You're going through something awful. But what is happening, it's making you a stronger believer in Christ Jesus. It is stripping you of way of the world. It's stripping you of way of everything you think is important. And realizing the only thing you have left is Christ Jesus. And that is all you need. Let's go now to 1 Peter chapter 1, please. One book to the right. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Those are pretty straightforward verses. The problem is, when we try to present those to people in a difficult time, we come across as the bad guy. But I've really come to the conclusion that sometimes that's all that people need to hear. They need to hear it. They need to hear that your faith is more precious than anything else. That you think you're in poverty, but you're really rich. They need to hear that you need to glory in tribulations. And yeah, this is a difficult time. I get that. But guess what? The Lord is going to use this. He really is going to use it. And the truth is, we allow people to come in and then just whine and complain. Philippians 2.14 says, do all things without grumbling and complaining. So therefore, I've come to this conclusion as a pastor that when somebody comes in and they're going through a difficult time, I do need to have an open heart. I do. I need to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I need to do that. I need to sometimes let them share what they're struggling with, and I need to do that. But when it starts turning into just downright complaining, whining, and bitterness... If I allow them to continue, I'm allowing them to sin right in front of me. I would never allow somebody to sin right in front of me. I wouldn't allow somebody to commit murder right in front of me. James, do you care if I kill a few people? Go ahead. I don't mind at all. I wouldn't go into Walmart with somebody and say, James, if you don't mind, I'm just going to sneak some stuff under my coat if I don't see it. But yet I allow people to come in and just complain, complain, and complain. And this is normally what happens. They complain, rant, and rave for a long time. And then they do a deep sigh, and they say this, thanks for listening, I feel better. And what I used to think is, I used to think I was the greatest pastor in the world. Oh, hey, yeah, I'm glad you feel better, amen. Hey, why don't we pray real quick? Then I realized they just feel better because for a brief moment, they got to let it all out, and they thought somebody agreed with them and saw it from their perspective. The issue was never dealt with, so guess what? It's going to pop right back up later. The most loving thing I could do is to stop them and say, it is tough, it is difficult, I get that, but can I share with you what James 1 says? Can I share with you what what 1 Peter 1 says, that this time of testing is growing you and refining you and helping you grow deeper in the Lord, and I want you to glory in tribulations, and, and what can we do to help? Maturity is they accept that. Maturity is they hear that and they want to go with it. To be perfectly honest, immaturity is, I'm just going to go to the next person who will listen to me. The reason the church at Smyrna is not rebuked is because they're going through this trial and tribulation. And what does it say in verse 10? Do not fear those things which are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. We're going through the book of Acts with the boys at home. And uh, we were just in Acts chapter 10. And in Acts chapter 10, there's a man by the name of Aeneas who uh, gets sick and is miraculously healed, and there's a woman by the name of Tabitha right afterwards that dies and gets resurrected. 
And so I just said to the boys, Let, let's just make a quick list. Let's keep track. How many people have we seen in the Bible that were miraculously saved out of something? And so, you know, you start thinking of Daniel in the lion's den. You start thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, you know what I mean? You got a nice little list. Okay, now I said, let's start listing all the people who didn't get saved out of it. Well, you got Stephen, who was martyred. You got James, who was martyred. And then all of a sudden, we start making these lists, and you start realizing, I'm not saying this is of the Lord, it's about equal. Those that miraculously were rescued, and some that were not, quote-unquote, miraculously rescued, and they died, they martyred. See, verse 10, that you may be tested. What Jesus is saying here is, I'm allowing you to go through this. This is not a surprise to me. This is not a shock to me. I'm allowing it, and it's going to be for your good. So what happens is, is this. We see the test results coming, and we start saying, oh, Lord, please, no, nothing, nothing bad. The Lord says, but I can be glorified more through the bad. You could be a witness more through the bad. And, and you could actually grow deeper in your faith through the bad. That's a, that's a tough response to have. And this church at Smyrna, that 10 days, whatever that really represents, look at what he says. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Do not be faithful unto rescue. Do not be faithful unto redemption. Be faithful unto death. Hey, Smyrna, could you just really stay focused on me until your last breath? And then guess what you'll get, verse 11. He overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Can you imagine? Because this was a circular book. That's the way they worked. And so therefore, as you're reading this book, and you're the people in Smyrna at that time, you're also reading about Ephesus and Pergamos and Thyatira. Would you not, if you lived in Smyrna, say, I'm moving to Ephesus? I mean, yeah, they're the busy church, but I'd rather be busy than dead. If you were the Ephesus church and you got to Smyrna, you'd be like, I'm glad I'm not in Smyrna. But the truth is some of us are called to Smyrna. We're called to that time of persecution. We're called to that time of testing. And the Lord says, you be faithful and I will get you through this. Faithful to what, Lord? Faithful unto death. And I just want to encourage you. I don't know what you're going through here tonight, but this church is blessed. This church, according to verse 9, is rich. Why? Because the trials and tribulations are more precious than any type of gold and silver. It's growing them and testing them. And what you see here is persecution is actually a blessing. Please remember that when you start going through difficult times. Please remember that when you have loved ones in the Lord that are going through difficult times. As the Lord leads you, use your words with grace, but also present to them the blessing of trials and tribulations because it is a blessing as it takes you deeper in Him. Any questions, comments here about Smyrna or the time of trials, tribulation, and persecution here? All right. I think we're going to actually go ahead and close it off here tonight to because uh, to get into Pergamos there, it's going to take a little bit longer than what we have left here with the final 10 minutes. So we'll pick up uh, Pergamos next week, and we'll go from there. Hey, any final questions, comments about anything here before we close out? A word of prayer. John. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. It is an example. I mean, when I hear a testimony of someone going through a difficult time, or if I, you know, hear about somebody who was martyred, um, 
I can't fathom it. I can't fathom what they went through. And, and at this moment right now, you're probably thinking, I, I couldn't do that. And the truth is, you couldn't. I couldn't. There, there's a gift that we don't talk about. It's a gift of the Spirit. It's called the gift of faith. And the gift of faith does not kick in until it's needed to kick in. That's why Paul and Silas, in the middle of prison at midnight, could be singing hymns to the Lord. Because the gift of faith kicked in. So right now, when you think about, I don't know, martyrdom, when you think about trials and tribulations, what would happen if, if I lost my job? What would happen if I lost my health? What would happen if I lost my kid? I, I can't even fathom what that would be like. At this point, you can't. But when the event happens, the gift of faith kicks in, and all of a sudden you stop and you say, Lord, you're going to get me through this. But at the moment he gets you through it, beforehand, you just got to trust him that he will. Anybody else have any final questions, comments about anything here before we close up? All right. If you guys would stand with me, let's pray. I don't know which one you are tonight. Maybe you're neither, but you're going to run into somebody who's one of them. Uh, maybe you're Ephesus. Lost your first love. You're busy. There's no doubt about it. You're busy. But you've lost that first love. Maybe you're Smyrna. That it's a really tough time right now. Let's pray for you. Lord, I just want to come to you now and say thank you for your word. Help us not just to read it, mark it, underline it. Help us to live it and always say and do. If there's somebody here tonight that's Ephesus, they've lost that first love. Encourage them. Uplift them. Help them to get back to where they need to be. As your word says, remember and repent and do the first works. Lord, if there's someone here tonight that's going through Smyrna, it is a tough, tough time. Let them know how rich they are in you. Lord, help them to see that. We thank you and we praise you. And Lord, we give you tomorrow night that it would truly be an outreach for you. Lord, we do pray it's fun. We do pray for the fellowship. But most importantly, we pray for the seeds that would be planted with the Halloween alternative. In your name, amen. You guys got anything you want to pray about? I'll stick around up here for a while. We get a group together to pray. If not, you guys have a good week. God bless.